Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Good morning. So I realize it's the last Sunday of the month. It has been a packed service already. You could probably pack up and go home. Uh, and, and I do have a, somewhat of a captive audience because you guys are here, but I am not going to be as long-witted as I usually am. Now, that's a pastor's promise, and it's usually pretty good. Uh, but I, I realize there's been a lot packed into the service. So I'd like to give you what I would call a sermonette. Or in some of the more higher liturgical churches, they call them homilies, okay? And we're going to look, as we close out this series, entitled Kindness is a, is a Verb, and I want to look specifically at kindness through generosity. You just heard a story of generosity, how there was a young boy who gave his fishes and loaves, basically his sack lunch, and Jesus took the generosity of this young man and fed thousands with it. And Jesus was generous with somebody else's gift. That's funny. No, Jesus was generous in multiplying it to feed beyond really what we could conceive of being fed by that little sack lunch. There's a story that goes like this. A pastor had a farmer in his congregation, and they were talking over the fence one day, and the pastor asked the farmer, he said, hey, Abe, um, if you had 100 horses, would you give me 50? <laughs> that is correct. Because the farmer said, yeah, pastor, I'd give you 50. Well, the pastor decided, all right, let me ask you this then. If you had 100 cows, would you give me 50? Where's the other yes back there? <laughs> Come on, girl, belt it out. And the farmer said, yeah, if I had 100 cows, I'd give you 50. And then the pastor's like, well, I'm batting 1,000. He says, all right, Abe, um, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? He said, no, pastor, now you're going a little too far. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> right? Moral of the story is this, generosity sounds good in the abstract, and many Christians picture themselves giving away half of their inheritance or half of the lottery, if you play it, and they're really generous in their own mind, but when push comes to shove and generosity is put to the test, fewer, it seems, can part with one pig. The passage today that we look at is from James chapter 1. We've been in James a lot this month. And I want to look at James chapter 1, starting with verse 12. Follow along with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It goes like this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Let me say that again. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Well, that's not fair. I want it now. 
right? We love to get what we think should come to us now when we do the right things. But that's not what we're told. If you are blessed by God through temptation and testing, it doesn't always come in the present. It may not even come in your lifetime. But the blessing is eternal. And remember, when you are being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation, it comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is James' way of saying, you can't walk around saying, the devil made me do it. Whoa, it's the devil and his temptation on me. It's too strong. No, he's saying, listen, you may be tempted by the evil one, but the reality is you're the one that's giving into it. So the sole responsibility lay on your shoulders. Nobody else is making you do what you shouldn't do. You are the one who does it. So don't be misled, he goes on to read, or write. My dear brothers and sisters, Whatever is good and perfect. Now, what is good and perfect? Good, if, if God is telling you that he has something good to give you, is God's good the best that can ever be? Or is God's good, is there something better than God's good? Do you understand what I'm asking? Is God's good best or is there something better than God's good? God's good is always best. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. At the end of each day, what did God say? It's good. And then he comes to the sixth day, and he creates man. At the end of that day, he says, and he looks back over all of creation, and he says, it's very good. So only God's very good is better than his good, but God's good is best. Does that make sense? You can take that to the bank. All right. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. We talked about that last week. But Brandon, you said that our prayers can change the direction of God. And yes, they can. But do you remember what I said? I said the very nature of God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we have countless examples in Scripture where somebody interceded and prayed, and God was deciding to do this, and then he changed his mind and decided to do that. We can have these debates all you want to. I've heard this. I would consider it a false teaching that our prayers do not change the heart of God. I believe they do. Because you see countless times in Scripture where that changes God. Now that begs the question, is God imperfect if he decides to do something than he already decided to do? No, because God can never be unfaithful and he can never do anything evil or wrong. So his choice to do this versus this is inconsequential because either one would have been a correct choice for God in his righteousness and holiness. So because God could change his mind to do something different because of our prayers doesn't mean he's less than perfect. Again, a whole different sermon for a whole different time. Suffice it to say, the very nature of God doesn't change. And his very nature is love. He, chooses, uh, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. <clears throat> Don't let anyone tell you that humans are just another part of the animal species. 
that were no different than plants or any other kind of living structure on the face of the planet. James tells us what the whole of Scripture reminds us of, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are knit together in our mother's womb. All life is sacred. A couple of you believe that. Did you know this is Sanctity of Life Month? Shameless plug here. We, we celebrate and support uh, a life-giving agency called Life Choices. We have for many years now. They are a pro-life agency with medical clinics in four different cities. And they work diligently to share life. They don't manipulate. They don't try to coerce. It is up to the person as to whether or not they will choose life, but they try to give them every tool and resource. They try to give them every ounce of information, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and not just what they want to hear. Okay? That's truly pro-choice. We are to be people who give life, who hold life at a high standard. He chose to give birth to us, James says, by giving us his true word. What is his true word? <clears throat> we have his written word, which we call the Bible, and his living word, which John tells us became flesh and dwelt among us, who is Christ. He, God, chose to give us his written word and his living word, through whom all of creation came into existence. He spoke with the breath that comes from God, and everything came into existence. And we, out of all creation, we humans, became his prized possession. Not as if he's like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, like, my precious. You know? It's not that, because some of you are probably, I don't know, if you're like me and I'm sitting there, my mind goes to a million different places when I'm listening to somebody else preach or teach. I try to be cognizant that there are other people like me in a service. <laughs> and so I'm like, ooh, so prized possession. Oh, my precious. You know, in this really guttural. Don't think of God that way. We are a prized possession of God like our children are prized by us. I have four children. There's nothing I wouldn't do for those kids. Now, I'm not going to enable them in bad behavior, but you get what I'm getting at here, right? I would hope you do. As a parent, you are so proud of your kids. In some ways, you think they can never do wrong, even though you know they can, but you, you hold them high in status because you know that God has blessed you with them. God holds us as a prized possession, not specifically as parents holding our kids as slaves, but as ones who have been entrusted by God with this gift of life to raise up and to empower to take on the world ahead of them. And he has raised us up as his image bearers to take on the world ahead of us. And we can't do it in and of our own strength. We can only do it in and of his. So what's the point this morning? The point is this. God's kindness is revealed in the good gifts he gives. And our kindness should reflect the goodness of God in our acts of generosity. Because God is a good gift giver, then we too as his children should be good gift givers. And our gift giving shouldn't be done only if gifts are given to us. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I will only give if I'm given to. 
I will only do this if this is done to me in return. We like to carry on the Old Testament perspective, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, when we have the law of grace now through Christ, which says, turn the other cheek. It says we are to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You have to be the one who serves. The first will be last, the last will be first. Jesus gives us this image in the Gospels that truly to be a citizen of the kingdom of God is to live life upside down compared to the world in which we currently live. We are not to seek to get, we are seek to give. I, I, I think, let's just say, I'm not even going to go on a grand scale that everybody in the world, if they would just seek to give more than they get, the world would be a different place. I'm going to say if the church who stands on the foundations of Christ and his word, if the church in our world would seek to give more than it gets, the world would be a different place. There are an uh, estimated two point, almost three billion proclaimed Christians on the face of the earth, the largest religion the world has ever known. Wouldn't it beg uh, to, to argue that the world should be different because of those 2.8 billion Christians? Well, Brandon, the world is almost 8 billion in population, and you know what can nearly 3 billion do? <laughs> a whole heck of a lot. And as a matter of fact, truly, Christians are the biggest givers. When you look at, at those who give per capita of their wealth or even of their non-wealth, you say, I'm not wealthy, but I give. I give sacrificially and cheerfully. Christians give and they outgive anybody else on the face of the earth. Why is that? Because we know every good gift comes from the Father above. But I also would say if we are working truly to give more than just our money, but our time, resources, energies for the building up of God's kingdom, the world would be a totally different place. I think, do you know how many churches there are in Butler? Does anybody know? I've not done the statistical research, but I can't. I could throw a stone randomly in this community and hit a church. <laughs> Building, that is. <laughs> Wouldn't Butler be a different place if the church was truly being the church? Now, that's much an accusation toward North Maine as it is toward any other church in this community. And when they're like, well, Brandon, we're waiting on you. <laughs> I'm doing what I can, but it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's all about him. And if we are being obedient to him, then we're going to be giving, regardless of if the pastor told us to or not. Well, my pastor doesn't have great outreach programs. It's his fault. Yeah, you're going to stand before Jesus someday. Uh, I wasn't generous with what I had because my pastor didn't teach me how to. Now, granted, I'll stand before him for how I taught and how I led, but I'm not going to stand before him because you didn't do something you were called to do. Now, this isn't me being mean or hateful. The reality is we wait on our senior pastors or other leaders that we honor to be the ones to lead us. And yes, we should be leading the charge, but we can't do it for you. To be generous and to be kind is something that a child of God is called to do regardless of if their pastor teaches them that or not. 
You're going to stand before Christ someday in this great judgment. And he's going to ask you, as Jesus gave this parable of the talents, do you remember the parable of the talents that this master who was a very wealthy master, very brutal master, but a very wealthy master, entrusted three of his servants with a, a certain amount of money called a talent. It's interesting today that talents mean something different in our culture, but it still works very well. So a talent was a, a, uh, a, a, an amount of money. And so he gave a certain amount of talents to one servant, a certain amount to another servant, and a certain to another servant, and they're all in different quantities. And so he goes off for a while, this master does, and he's entrusted a portion of his wealth to these three servants, and uh, two of them invest it. Now that sounds kind of shrewd. What if they lost it? What if their investment didn't pay off? I mean, this was a shrewd and, and, and brutal master. Did they not stand in fear of him? Yes, but their fear drove them to do something that could benefit their master. But the one who had been given the least amount knew, oh, there's, I know he's brutal, he's, he's pretty, he's heavy-handed, so I'm going to give him back exactly what he gave me, but in order to do that, I don't want to lose it. I'm going to go bury it. And I'm going to put a marker that only I know where it is. And I'm going, to, I'm going to go back when he comes back into town. And I'm going to bring him that dirty bag of money that I had buried. So the master comes back in. The two servants that invested had actually gained interest, which is great. And they give it back to the master. And the master's like, I didn't even ask you to do that. Wow, this is great. You guys are awesome. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. Read it for yourselves. It's in the Gospels. And then the other one comes back who had buried his. He says, here's your dirty sack of money. Again, paraphrasing, read it for yourself. And the master's like, huh, wait a minute. So these two actually went above and beyond the call of service. They didn't just do the bare minimum. And I didn't ask them to go do what they did. But now the bar is set and you, you did nothing with what I gave you. And do you know what he says to that servant? He takes what he had entrusted to the servant that the servant had buried and gave it to the one who had more. And he casts out the other servant as a sinner where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What are you doing with what you've been entrusted with? God has generously gifted you with abilities, with gifts. And you, here's the thing. You can, you can be as down on yourself as you want to. You can be as insecure as you want to. The reality is Christ came to set you free from bondage, from sin, from death. He came to set you free from all of those things that burden you down. All the lies of the enemy who seek to still kill and destroy everything in you. If you give him a toehold in your life, he will take it and he'll widen that gap and he'll take the rest of you. So much so that you're insecure, I'm, I'm too worried about doing this or that, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And if you live in fear, then the battle's already won over your soul. But if you live in a holy reverence to your master and savior, and you invest what he's given you, even if it doesn't look successful by the world's standards, you'll gain everything in return. 
See, this good gift giver who gives us life, who gives us hope, who gives us opportunity, expects us to use that life, that hope, and that opportunity in investment for his kingdom rather than for our own. And you may say, I don't have much. God, did you, did you know, did, look at the scripture. How many uh, of the people in scripture do you know that were low people on the totem pole, so to speak? I know that's not politically correct, but I grew up in that generation, so forgive me. But do you understand what I'm getting at? How many people in scripture have you read about or heard about that were people of no consequence? And they stepped up. And they took a step of faith because they trusted God more than they trusted their own abilities. Well, I don't have what it takes. How many, how many times have you heard that or have you said that? No, you don't, but he does. And if you are his, then you have what it takes because he's given it to you. Does that make sense? I think the reason the church is on the ropes right now in the American culture is because we negated our authority and responsibility through the power of the Holy Spirit to be the church, hands and feet, to go and to do all he commanded us to go and do. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must first, what does he say? Deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. I don't hear anything in there about ability or capability. I hear everything in there about obedience. You might be surprised if you step out into obedience what God can do through you and in spite of you because your willingness to go is what's most important. Let me hit these three points and I'll let you go. The first one is God blesses us when we patiently endure testing and temptation. All right, so there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm going to give you a quick rundown. What we would call Sparks Notes, I think that's what they're called today, Cliff's Notes when I was a kid, and I was so dumb I wouldn't even read the Cliff's Notes. <laughs> I would barely read the intro on the back of the book just to get a synopsis of it, and the, obviously the teacher would know, and I'd be like, yeah, I just read the back of the book. <laughs> Needless to say, English was not a strong suit for me. But testing and temptation are two different things. They are not both sides of the same coin. They are two opposites. So testing, God can allow us to go through tests. We see that often. God tested Abraham. He tested Moses. He tested the people of Israel. Testing is not a bad thing because testing actually does something to prove our worth. Okay? How many of you have actually taken a test in school? It's to prove whether or not you've studied for the test. Remember, I never read the Cliff's Notes, so I didn't do well. I didn't pass many tests well in high school because I wouldn't do my due diligence and do the work that was called on me to do. I wasn't obedient to the task at hand. But temptation's totally different. It says God is not tempted to do evil, nor does he tempt anyone else to do it. Temptation only comes from the evil one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But the reality is, he says that we are tempted. When we are tempted, we can't blame God for it because God doesn't tempt or is not tempted either. But it is our own evil desires which lead us away. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. There is a serpent in the garden, and guess what? He gets his blame. Who does he get his blame from? Eve. It was the serpent who came and tempted me, and I chose to eat of the fruit. 
But guess who had the authority in and of, them own, in and of their own selves to choose to eat the fruit or not? Eve and Adam. The, the serpent who we now associate with the evil one, Satan, didn't come up having picked the fruit for them and shoved it in their mouth. All he could do and all he ever has the ability to do is say, oh, this looks good, doesn't it? Mm, you want some, right? And he could trick us up not just with fruit or, or, or with the temptation of sexual addiction or any other kind of addiction in this world. He tempts us and tricks us into certain behaviors that we think are innocuous compared to some of the greater sins in this world, but really all sin separates from God. The sin of gossip, backbiting, rage. We don't like to talk about gossip. Well, let's, let's take the definition of gossip and just tweak it a smidge. And I joke about this, but it's, the truth is uh, we use the prayer chain at many of our churches as a gossip line rather than a prayer chain. Did you hear about so-and-so, mm, girl? I'm telling you, they got it all upside down. Hey, I'm from Kentucky. I'm telling you what, honey child. If she doesn't get her life straight, she's going straight to hell. We should pray for her. Do you guess what I'm doing here? We do that. We, we call certain sins the lesser sins and other sins the greater sins. But James tells us, even in his own book, if you've broken one part of the law, guess what else you've broken? All of it. Ugh. That's what God's kingdom looks like. That's what God's economy is. That's why we are all in need of a Savior. Because it's his good gift of salvation that can only save us from ourselves. So God doesn't tempt, but he tests. And he tests like any good teacher or professor would do. And he tests like any good parent would do to see if the children under their care are actually learning to do and to live life the way they're supposed to. We had this conversation in my class this morning that serving one another is what we are called to do as believers in Christ, but we are not called to do something for someone else that they can do for themselves. Does that make sense? Now, we are called to walk alongside of them to help alleviate their stress, maybe to help do some of the stuff with them, but we aren't called to do what somebody can do for themselves. That doesn't let you off the hook for serving them, but it does put things in proper perspective because here's what tends to happen is we think if we do something for somebody, we're helping them, but if we're doing something for somebody that they themselves can do, we're only enabling them to continue in a behavior that maybe they're already doing. Does this make sense? So one of the philosophies and things that my wife and I have tried to do with our kids is to raise them up to do things for themselves. Because guess what? Mom and dad aren't always going to be there. Have you ever said that to your kids? Or have your parents ever said that to you? Okay. But if mom and dad are always doing stuff for you, guess what, guess what maturity level you stay? Really little. You may grow big and fat and live high on the hog, but maturity level... You're banking on mom and dad to do stuff for you. So moms and dads who put their kids to the test, they show them, they teach them, they raise them up. They help them to be productive citizens of a society in which they're called to live in, but not just productive citizens of the United States, but productive citizens of a kingdom which is God's, in which doesn't always function the way the world does. 
We joke about this in my house is I, one of my values is initiative. If you take initiative, you go above and beyond the call of duty. I'm like, woohoo! I didn't even have to tell you to do that. You did it. Right? Kaboomo! Right? That's awesome. But do you know how many paper wrappers, empty water bottles, and all that junk lay on the floor in our house and somebody steps over it because they're like, it's not mine. I didn't do that. It's somebody else's mess until you find out that every, every one of the six of us in the house are stepping over like basically a dumpster in our living room or our dining room because it's not mine. I didn't do it. Well, somebody had to do it. And even if you didn't pick it up, well, dad, you should pick it up too. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. They never say that because that's an old term. But they say it in their own way, right? You're closer. You pick it up. Oh, shut up. You know, I mean, really, that's what you want to say. But see, then I'm not a good servant because I'm not teaching my kids to do right by saying, look, I'm picking it up and it's not mine. Right? I'm sorry. I'm way off on a bad tangent here. <laughs> we are called to be kind and to be generous by doing things without having to be asked because it comes out of the very nature of a child of God to serve without even having the recognition for it. Okay? Secondly, God does not tempt us to do wrong. That is so cool. I don't like the fact that God gets blamed for a lot of things. And I don't think God likes the fact that he gets blamed for a lot of things, but he's got big shoulders. He can handle it. When things don't go right in our lives, when things aren't squaring up with what our expectations are of how our lives should be, then we always cast a finger because we don't like to take ownership, right? Kind of goes back to the previous conversation. Well, it's not mine. It's somebody else's fault. Have you, let me ask you this question. Have you, have you found yourself in the behavior of casting the blame on everybody else rather than taking ownership? Huh? How about your marriage? How about your relationships? How about your parenting? Well, I would be a better parent if my spouse would. My spouse doesn't, you know, we're too, we're separated on this issue. And, and, and if it wasn't for them, then things would be better. Or maybe your friendships, maybe your working relationship with your colleagues or your boss. If my boss wasn't such a, whoa. <laughs> Julie Natale. <laughs> and you don't have a boss unless you can, is it your husband? Oh! Let's get back on track. I do marital counseling. I'm not a professional counselor, but just saying. Take my name and number, okay? Anyway, do you get what I'm getting? Do you get, do you smell what I'm throwing out here? Is this making sense? Or is this just like all over the board and you're like, you just need to shut it down. All right, I'll shut it down. God doesn't tempt anyone. But he's there. And I love what this, listen to what Paul states. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And sometimes you feel like you can't bear the kind of temptations you're sitting under right now. But he's not going to set you in a place that is impossible to get out of. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. When you were tempted, 
Don't say God is tempting me because God is not tempted, nor does he tempt anyone else. But when you are tempted, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand. He will give you the strength and authority to stand under that and not succumb to it. If you succumb to it, it's because you've given in to the evil desires of your own heart. And you can say, but I just don't have the strength. No, you don't. That's why you need God's strength in you. That's the whole point. When you're doing things in your own strength, you cannot do it. But when you just surrender to him and say, Lord, everything I am and everything I have is yours. I surrender to you. Then you are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit and a strength that goes beyond the natural into the supernatural. And you can stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Everything that is good and perfect comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Bruce Barton, biblical scholar, writes, we are saved because God chose to save us. He chose to give us that gift. Our spiritual birth is not an accident because he had to do it. The birth is the new birth given to believers. In John chapter 3, he talks about new birth being new creation, being born again. The word of truth is the gospel of Christ, the good news of salvation. We hear about the gift of birth or of new life through salvation, through the reading and the preaching of the gospels, and we respond to it. We apply the message to ourselves and our needs, and we receive the offered gift. God will not force that gift on you. Have you ever done this at Christmas time? Somebody gives you a gift, and you open it, and you're like, ugh. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and you either re-gift it or you put it on Facebook Marketplace <laughs> or you wait for a white elephant kind of thing, right? So God gives us this gift of salvation. He offers it. But do you know what has to happen on our part? We have to receive it. And you can receive the gift he has to offer, or you can store it on a shelf saying, oh, that's a nice gift. I don't really need that right now. Saving? What do I need saved from? What do I need saved to? My life is pretty good. I don't know if I believe in all that religious junk anyway. And so you put it on a shelf, or you just outright reject it. You say, no, 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 I don't, <laughs> I don't need that. Thanks, but no thanks. In order for a gift to truly have its place and to impact us, it must be received. I want to call our worship team to close us out today. But I want to leave us with this thought. We must remember throughout the course of our lives in Christ that God blesses us when we patiently endure testing and temptation. And no, the blessing may not come while you're still alive, but there was an eternal blessing, you're like, I just don't want to wait for an eternal blessing. I'm going to be blessed now. Do you realize that your life in the blip is just a blip on the radar in the grand scheme of eternity? We fool ourselves into thinking that this is all there is. But in somebody's average 75 years of life, it's nothing compared to eternity. 
You might wait for 75 years to get a blessing for enduring testing and temptation, but it's not as long as eternity if you reject it. God never tempts us to do wrong. Remember that. And every good good and perfect gift in this world comes from God. The Apostle Paul puts this in perspective when he writes in Romans chapter 5. When we were utterly helpless... Do you know what that means? It means that we were at the bottom of our barrel as a human society, as humanity. When we, as humanity, were utterly helpless to do anything about our situation, we were completely as low as we could get. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might... Oh, excuse me, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending us Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been given or have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we certain, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. that, That is great news. That if I'm willing to step into the gift of salvation that God has freely given me, this good and perfect gift, it makes all the difference in the world. And it's out of that gift given to me that then I can give life to others. Not because I have life to give, but because I've been given life through Christ, and it's Christ's life I go in. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And so the question this morning is, what are you doing with the generous gift that God's offered you? If you are listening to me this morning, whether online, on TV, on the radio, or you're here personally yourself, and you're hearing this message, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time, you have heard the good news of the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus. There is no life that can come except through him. The gift has been offered. This isn't a salvation message, but the reality is, if you are not saved, you have been offered a gift. What are you going to do with it? You're going to reject it? You're going to re-gift it? You're going to put it on a shelf somewhere in your closet, never to look at it again? You're going to walk away from it? Or are you going to embrace it, open it up and say, wow, this makes all the difference in the world to me. It may not be what I expected it to be, but it's more than I could have ever imagined. And maybe those of you who are here and you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to him, but you feel like you're adrift on a sea of forgetfulness along with those sins of yours and that you're far from God. I I don't know. Maybe it's time to renew that commitment. Maybe it's time to just settle back into the presence of God by saying, Lord, here I am. Um, I don't feel you or sense you, and, but I know that you can hear me. And so come in to this space, which is yours, my life, 
Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and give me strength beyond measure to conquer the daily difficulties that I have. For I know that these trials and temptations are only temporary compared to an eternity with you. If you want to pray this morning and you want somebody to pray with you because you're like, the message has hit me, the, the, the word of God has hit me in a way, the Holy Spirit's working on me, and you want somebody to pray with you through that, you come to my right, your left, there are altars over here, you can come to the steps and pray here. If you want to just be left alone and come pray on your own, there's an altar to my left, your right, or the steps on this side, nobody's going to bother you. But again, I always ask. If Lord has touched you in a way today and you felt a tugging, it's not because the pastor has somehow manipulated the words to tug at your emotions. It's because the Holy Spirit's moving and working. Would you be obedient to his calling? Father, in this place, we honor you as God. And we honor you as friend. And we thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes down from you. Forgive us for not always receiving the gift. Forgive us for not always embracing the gift of salvation. Forgive us for trying to save ourselves in our own strength, knowing that it's impossible. Help us to be generous with what you've given us and help what you've given us to truly transform our lives so that we can become new creations. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.